Kia welcome to the panel. RNZ National, Alexia Russell, Simon Pound with me today. We've had a lot of feedback regarding electric vehicles. We'll have that for you uh, before 4.30. Text us 2101. First, though, records are falling across Europe. The UK saw temperatures of more than 40 degrees Celsius for the first time. There was a major blaze in East London where homes were in flames. Central and northwestern Spain has also been ravaged by wildfires. More than a thousand heatwave-related deaths have been recorded since last week in Portugal. Climate scientists have expressed shock at the heat, reports The Guardian. Uh, quoting Professor Stephen Belcher at the Met Office, I wasn't expecting to see 40 degrees Celsius in my career. Researchers in continental Europe, they are now considering 50 degrees. Nigel Godfrey is a film and TV producer. He's in the UK now and he is uh, with us live. Uh, Nigel, kia ora. Uh, tell us first, Nigel, and, and thank you for waking up so early, by the way. I think it's just after five there. I mean, you've travelled quite a bit in your time. Have you experienced heat like this? Well, yes, and the interesting thing is never in the UK. So uh, the best way to describe the heat is when, if you travel somewhere like Asia and you get off the plane and you come from the air bridge and then you're hit with a wall of heat, that is exactly how it was. So yesterday I was in the car driving air conditioning on, got out of the car, heat hits you. And you wow. do, it's just something you're not, you're not used to in the UK and obviously no one in case used to it and it was that wall of heat when you come out of a shop wall of heat open the door wall of heat the other thing is that indoors you can't escape it so the advice um which was all over radio and television don't have the doors open don't have the windows open because there is no breeze and outside is hotter than inside just go to the coolest place in the house Goodness. Quite that, 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 that's the advice don't have the doors open. Don't have the windows the open. Advice, the advice was: do not have, or do not go and open all of your doors and windows because you are just transferring. There is no breeze, and so you're just transferring this incredibly hot heat inside the house. Gosh. But people were prepared because it, for the last week or so, it's been coming. It's been getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Last Friday, I went out. I was walking in town. I saw two old people collapsed at various bus stops and it was just like, wow, it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. But when it did hit, and everyone knew it was going to hit yesterday, it was, everybody absolutely knew that. And so people were prepared, for it. and the way they prepared, they just didn't open shops. I'd say 50% of shops just didn't open. There were just signs up saying we haven't opened because of the heat wave. But the infrastructure here is not prepared for this sort of heat. We have a panel with us, Nigel, though. Let's get jump in, Alexia. Yeah, I mean, I know when I was in England years and years ago, the railway stopped running for every excuse, the wrong kind of leaves on the ground yeah. and the wrong kind of snow. But, on the line. Yeah, but I gather now it's them melting and twisting in the heat. Is that right? Well, that was, people were prepared for that. So last weekend they were out painting the, painting the track white to try and reflect it. Um, and in Europe they do um, prepare for this, um, but it means they have to close down the railway during the year to do it. And the decision is made here, no, you don't do that because it's not going to happen. So um, it was preemptive. A lot of rail just didn't run. And that's because uh, the, the risk is of uh, the rail buckling and derailing. Uh, the tube wasn't particularly badly hit. It was the overground that was hit. 
Um, but it's just, it's more about infrastructure. It's, it's people realized that buildings weren't prepared because aircon isn't such a big thing. So the hospitals, no. old people's homes, they were the ones who really had to think very carefully about how, how they prepared. There haven't been, there's been one reported death, which was a drowning. Um, but so far, no reported deaths. There were spontaneous fires, which were quite bizarre, that they just happened yesterday. There was one in East London, there was one in Croydon. Um, the one in East London, 150 firemen working on it for 10 hours, and it took out a street. Yeah, so, sorry. you know, and the headlines this morning have been, uh, you know, incredible. Um, the Sun had hellfire as its headline. Um, you know, the Guardian have declared it a wake-up call. The Mail had the nightmare of the wildfires. The Telegraph called it Britain ignites as temperatures break 40 degrees. However, this morning we wake up and it's cool. And it's, it's kind of, it's cool. It's, it's 17 degrees out there and it's cool. It's, it's gone. Gosh, from 40.3 down to 17, Simon Pound. Yeah, and that point that you make about, you know, the, the relative heat compared to what you're used to. Like if you're in London and it's above 20 degrees, the place is jubilant. Everyone's excited. No. That's a hot day, you know. And so to be double that and then be more yeah. than 25 degrees at night... Is, you know, in an yeah. Auckland context, that'd be like being 50 plus in the day and 30 at night, night which would night be time, ridiculous. Nighttime was, was pretty uncomfortable. I mean, one of the things that's been quite strange is that um, for me is that it's completely accepted that this is down to climate change. There is no argument. It's not a debate here. And so that's helped the argument. Uh, everyone's talking about the net zero aim here in the UK, which is 2050. Um, and that the heat wave is really fanning the flames of that debate. And there's absolutely no blame. This has not become a political issue. And politics is obviously all over the news because of the continued uh, leadership um, fight for the Conservative Party. But this has not become a political issue at all. It's just a problem that needs to be solved. How they're going to solve the problem of climate change, that's, a, that's another matter. Um, but, uh, but it is accepted that, um, you know, that unless something is done, this is going to keep occurring. And they're know. saying right. these temperatures would come every three years. Every three years for this type of temperature? Right. OK. Simon, you want to jump in? Well, yeah, and will the, you know, will London now have to become more like New York, where buildings uh, have greater heating and cooling infrastructure? And, um, you know, all of that takes more power and all of that's burning more coal and bringing more gas in from, from foreign oil fields. London builders that don't is. even have awnings, so there's, Do no, they not? Sh- there's no shade. No. Really? Uh, not really. But, oh, I think, well, the, yes, I think the, we have the awnings for the rain, and then they're helpful in the summer. Um, I, that, that, that sort of conversation is happening a great deal about buildings. I, I, you know, I heard that a lot, especially with the care homes and the hospitals. Like, we didn't build them for this. We're going to have to think about this. But then you have the power issue. It's like, well, how do you generate power to, to deal with it? Oh, well, we're generating the power, and that's, that's half the problem anyway. Yeah. So so it's, just, it's, I just, just finally, just fine, Nigel, so people around you, I mean, how, what, what sort of sense do you get of how people are coping? You see, you, you saw some people at the bus stop who are uh, clearly failing, some elderly, but uh, how, how are people around you um, dealing with these uh, temperatures? Well, again, I think everyone was prepared. It, it, 
it was literally, it's going to be the hottest day on record on Tuesday. And so people prepared. And okay. I, I said to someone, oh, I'm going out shopping. And they were like, you're completely mad. Most people just stayed in. Um, and the fact that it's kind of come and gone, they're talking about it coming back. They're now talking about us facing possible uh, storms and rain in the next couple of weeks, which is, is quite interesting. Um, but, but actually, Britain coped really, really well with it. Um, but they love, you know, they love a crisis. <laughs> the unions, the unions, the unions came out yesterday and said, I think it's time that we had a maximum, uh, a maximum temperature for working. And of course, the, the news was out with all the box boxing news. I think that's a very good idea. In a day of firsts, last night, the Euro Millions announced that uh, the largest lottery win ever happened yesterday, which was £195 million to one player, and the winner was based in the UK. Amazing. I I bought a ticket and it wasn't me. Well, Nigel, it's always good to have you on the panel. Kia Thank you for your time. That's Nigel Gonfrey, who is uh, in the UK uh, now. Um, that's that's quite extraordinary. That The current advice there, Alexia, was uh, uh, you're at home, it's really hot, and you don't open your door or window. Yeah, I Weird. I post a friend posted from the UK that she had seven fans on inside the house, and it was still 36 degrees oh. inside the house. My brother in um, the UK sent me a picture of him. had filled up the, his garden bin, wheelie bin, with water and was just sitting in it. <laughs> It's just, it was 40.2 Heathrow that morning when he yeah. went, we left. Yeah. 17 past four, Alexa Russell and Simon Pound with me today. 19 countries have passed the electric vehicle tipping point, the US being the latest. What is the tipping point? The tipping point is when early adopters are overtaken by mainstream demand. It's believed that 5% of new car sales is the tipping point. Finland at 13% EVs in their fleet. Netherlands, 16%. Italy, not at 5% yet, but get this. New Zealand is at 6.2%. We're above the tipping point. What does this mean for you? Once the road has been paved for the first 5%, the mass market will follow. Could that happen? Nearly half of Kiwi car buyers want to buy an electric vehicle. That from a recent survey, Ernst & Young Mobility Consumer Index shows with us as managing editor uh, at EVs and Beyond, Richard Edwards. Richard, kia ora. Thank you. Thank you. Always uh, actually already have had a big response to this. A lot of people emailing in about their EV stories, and I must say 95% of them are very, very positive. We'll them out soon. But what are we seeing with demand? Are people showing an interest? Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, look, every time we see a new EV launched in the New Zealand market, a waiting list develops. Recently, I was involved in the, the launch process of the uh, new BYD at 03 coming into the market. And the dealers literally had to work all weekend taking phone orders and just people throwing their credit card numbers at them. People want electric vehicles. The big issue for New Zealand at the moment is that supply is just taking a little bit of time to catch up. All right, so you can be waiting for a half a year. You can be waiting longer if you want an EV. It it depends on the vehicle. I mean, there's a lot of vehicles you can get in relatively short order, but but by and large, yeah, there is a little bit of wait for EV. But uh, for an EV, but that is that's arguably worth it uh, once you've got the uh, the vehicle and the savings you can make. And and they're simply uh, and look, I'm a little bit biased. I run an electric vehicle magazine. I drive yeah. an electric vehicle. They are they they are so good to live with. 
decides you can stay away from all the climate and the emissions and so forth arguments. They're just great cars. Well, you would say that, Richard. Um, but what I do want to ask you is um, still very small, 6.2%, in fact, tiny. But uh, as with all tech, be it the internet or actually smartphones, the iPhone, I can, re- I can recall um, early adopters had them. Next minute, everyone had them. Is that what the tipping point is about? In a few years' time, we'll all get on board with EVs. Uh, we, we will, but I think we've got to look at uh, the market itself in New Zealand. And the majority of new vehicles in, in New Zealand are bought by the government or fleets. And if we look at those two components, the government has put a really strong missive out to all its departments that they have to buy electric vehicles where they can. So they're, they're putting really hard words on their, their suppliers to say, we need these electric cars in these sectors, and they're buying them. Uh, if we took a look at the fleet market, I was uh, speaking to a director of one of the, the largest fleet leasing companies in New Zealand recently, and the discussion I had with him was around, when do you think you'll stop leasing petrol cars uh, or diesel cars? And he said, it's actually not that far away because the costing now for electric vehicles is just tipping over so much uh, in favour of the electric vehicle. And things like companies that are bidding for construction contracts or get bid, uh, bidding for large maintenance contracts or service contracts, particularly with government organisations or or global companies that are that are very much watching their emissions levels, they're putting this now as a component right. of those contracting systems. So they're buying those cars. Now, why does that matter to other people? Well, a lot of New Zealanders buy used cars. Most of those used cars uh, come from either Japan uh, or the fleet market in New Zealand. So three years in a fleet and then out into the used vehicle market. Okay, we have Simon and Lex here. Before, I, I just want to read two of many, many uh, emails and texts we've got about this. Here's two. We have a second-hand EV van for four years. Fantastic, says James. The only maintenance cost has been new tyres, but the big problem is the lack of fast chargers. We live in Golden Bay and have to charge up to get back home from Nelson. Four years ago, no question, now queuing nearly every time. We need fast chargers. Another one here. Had a second-hand lead for one and a half years. Tremendous. At least one-third cost of energy and at times zero dollars per kilowatt hour as we've got solar panels as well. We are saving about $4,000 a year. Uh, I want the ones that are shockers as well, not just the positives. Text me 2101, talking electric vehicles, Alexia. Yeah, it's interesting. Remember Jeanette Fitzsimons, the Green MP? She used to run around in an old Mitsubishi Mirage, and her rationale for that, and this is before there were a lot of EVs, this is just to not get a more petrol-efficient car, was that that Mitsubishi Mirage had to go somewhere at the end of its life. And where did it go? You know, it got dumped. And I sort of feel the same way. I've got a 2005 Camry. It still works beautifully. It's Great car. It's fuel efficient on long journeys. It's smooth as. It's, um, I'd never pay anything for, you know, repairs or breakdowns. It's absolute beauty. But what I have started to do is to take public transport as often as I can, not use it for short journeys. Um, and eventually I'll get an electric bike and, and do that as well. Um, we don't really have the setup at our place for um, charging because we haven't got an internal garage. It's a little bit messy in that right. situation. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to hold off for as long as possible. So I'm what afraid. about that, Richard? Uh, you've got the other angle of you know a person who really uh, rarely uses the Camry, um, takes the bus... That's the way to do it. Yeah, and I mean, look, it's not so much about what you've got now, it's about what you're adding to the fleet. So the key thing is, is that we, we watch what we're bringing into New Zealand. And I'm not saying EVs are the answer to everyone. You know, hybrids play a big role, plug-in hybrids, uh, low-emission uh, fuel vehicles. Uh, but it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with keeping a vehicle on the road. Let's just try to avoid 
necessarily shifting our ongoing transports into continuing to bring in high-emitting vehicles. In regards to not being able to charge at home, uh, that's something that there are solutions out there for. I mean, there is obviously uh, fast charging out there, but things like there's been trials in Wellington about street-side char- uh, charging. It's very popular in the UK, actually, as well. Right. They install charging points into lampposts. Um, wow, okay. And you, uh, pa- and you pay via an identifier in your car- charging cable. Well, there's even solutions for that kind of thing. So, that's so cool. And it is such a no-brainer for uh, fleets and for family cars if you're living in urban environments and you have a you know charging solution. But I think the real tipping point for the New Zealand culture is going to be when some of the great EV four-cab ute options come in, as this country is addicted to four-cab utes. And uh, in the States, which is, you know, the home of that addiction, uh, Ford has an electric version of its, you know, biggest-selling four-cab ute kind of car, which is an enormous monstrosity of a thing that, you know, they're terrible for the roads, they're terrible for other road users, they're terrible for all kinds of things. But when that is available in a really high-quality electric, I think that's going to be the true tipping point okay. for the, the wider New Zealand culture. So here's the deal, Richard. A lot of people, Anderson, coming back to this uh, uh, survey, half of New Zealand car buyers want to buy an electric vehicle. So there are thousands of people listening to this today. It's been talked about around the dinner table. When's the right time? Uh, what is the right time? Can we even actually afford it? Advice for those today who sort of ready to buy an electric vehicle. A couple of key points. Well, I mean, I just, just guess just keep watching and waiting. I mean, if there's not a, a vehicle that's appropriate for you now, then there will be one along in the near future. We've seen Twitter com- uh, suggest there's going to be a electric U coming from them in 2025. There's an electric U uh, coming from LDZ this year um, that will be uh, available soon. I've actually driven that U from Auckland to Wellington. It's a really cap- capable vehicle, uh, Ford or Ute. Uh, so just wait and the vehicles come along maybe just think about whether you need to replace your car before you can shift to an electric or a plug-in hybrid or a hybrid Uh, and maybe just wait a little bit longer until one comes along. In regards to affording it, have a think about what the actual total cost of ownership of that vehicle that you are considering uh, is and that the amount of money you can save on fuel particularly these days is massive and if you balance that against say the higher finance costs uh, then that makes a big difference. I know in our case, uh, with our EV, we're saving about four to $500 a month in petrol, uh, and that more than made okay. up the difference in finance costs uh, over our previous petrol vehicle. Yeah. Four, to f- four to 500 bucks a month in petrol savings. Well, it, wow. m- it might <laughs> even be that you don't even need to own it at all. So Mevo that's in Wellington and uh, Auckland car sharing, they have electric vehicles there. And people have ditched their car entirely. It's just the sunk cost of your insurance and warrant and Red Joe and a service every year and all the rest of it adds up a lot. So just jumping in and hiring it by the um, hour is a total solution for some people mm. too. Nice to have you on the program. Yeah, Richard, final point? The, the car companies know that. I mean, the car companies are very aware that there is this motion going on. Twitter New Zealand, you know, some people have criticised Twitter New Zealand for not necessarily being right at the front of electrification, but you know, they're massive in hybrids and plug-in hybrids. They've purchased uh, a large stake in uh, City Hop, which is the biggest operator of that kind of vehicle in Auckland. So these companies, while they may not be rushing into it, they are thinking and they understand that this is the way it's going. The one thing I'd say around that is when fleets are looking at it, Sometimes the thing about fleets at the moment is whether we need that many cars for a fleet. And that's an understandable thing, but what they've got to watch then is they're not reducing cars to go EV and then pushing the problem just out to the market uh, for people to go and buy their own 
fuel you know fuel vehicles rather than having an EV. Good on you, Richard. Thank you. That's the managing editor at EVs and Beyond. Richard Edwards, obviously, a very pro EVs there. But I want to I want your thoughts on, on that. If you have an EV, uh, how have you found it? And the the less um, positive stories most welcome as well. You can email me the panel at rnz.co.nz. Text me two one zero one. Very interesting about the, the the tipping point though. I mean, looking at New Zealand here, six point two percent. Gosh, you've got countries like um, Denmark at seventeen point four, and Iceland, fifty one percent of their fleet is electric. Good yeah. lord! Yeah, last time I looked at it though, the like four of the top ten in New Zealand were these uh, double cab. You kind yeah, of I know, hugely, hugely. So yeah. it's not a, not a discussion you've had, uh, Alexia. You're still very happy with the 2005 Camry. You haven't sent uh, your partner. Hey, let's sell the Camry, get a nice little leaf. Uh, well, no, guys. I mean, I, did, I have started looking at at them, but it just for us, it just. It's just, I, I don't want to get rid of my Camry. It's, yeah. you know, I've got two enormous children. This is a, a car where his size 13 feet will actually not get stuck under the passenger seat car. <laughs> I can't seat, you know. Um, it's it's great for long trips. Um, it's a great family car. And um, Got it. No, Camry's all the yeah. way. Pro Camry. Uh, nice. Uh, to this, 29 past four briefly, emojis and work emails, do you love them? A new study says many employees think a work communication without an emoji lacks something. But with generations split over their meanings, sending them is not risk-free. If you don't know your emojis, you could be sending one that is considered inappropriate. Apparently the eggplant or the aubergine is not appropriate. I don't know why. The first set of emojis hit Japanese phones at... I Do you no not idea. listen to the detail? We did a whole podcast on the aubergine. I, d- I missed that episode. Yeah. Yeah. I missed that episode. Got to go okay, back. I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. Um, but is there a point about emails here? It is very, very hard, Simon, to read the tone sometimes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like even on a text message, putting a full stop on can yeah. seem real passive aggressive. But we're getting to the stage where not only do you have to put like an emoji on to make it kind of gentler, but you end up kind of going, oh, is that, is that enough? Maybe I need to put two on. And then you have three smiley faces or, you know, and we're going to end up getting straight back to like hieroglyphics before long. I'm very proud emoji, even to my boss. It's two smiley faces just to show positivity and I, I, I understand. Why, and here you are rolling your eyes. My, Great. my husband's got a tradie phone. It doesn't do emojis. So people who send him texts and he goes, Alexa, why have I got six squares after my text message? <laughs> Um, I could imagine Alexia Russell um, being the journalist. You're very anti-emoji. No, You'd I, be straight I don't to care. the point. No, well, I don't use them particularly. Yeah. I mean, when I want to, when I want to end a conversation on text conversation, I usually just give them the thumbs up, and that's like it's actually really a stop sign. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I love them because they can soften things up. And you know, when you make an email, you kind of like write it up, and then you have to go back through it and like make sure it's got enough exclamation points that you seem friendly, but not so many oh, that no, you seem completely no, 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 deranged. No, 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 no. It's a journalist. The whole exclamation point sends shivers down my spine. Yeah, how so? Don't need exclamation well, points no, you don't. most of the time. Well, not in writing, but in emails when you're sending things to people. Emails you, are writing. You, you pop, you pop <laughs> them in to make it seem kind of friendly, and then you take no. some out so it's not too over enthusiastic. Listen and to this. Emoji Emojis can be great. They just kind of like, uh, you know, just a little sprinkle of what's fun. Your, what's your favourite emoji? What do you use? At, at the moment, I really like the 100, and I like the little um, arrow hitting the target, and I like the little um, celebration kind of, uh, the confetti coming out of the cannon. Oh, how sickening. 
overly positive. A hundred percent. You've got your little party going on and the emojis. That's so Simon Pounder. Uh, upside down oh. smiley face. What does, that's that's what, a good what one. Is that, what does that signify? What, what would you like it to signify? You know, there's a little bit of like reading into these things that you bring to all of it. But it's kind of like, you know, we're happy, but things are a bit upside down. Okay. Uh, Simon Pound, Alexia Russell with me this afternoon. You're on the panel, RNZ National.